We're going to be in 1 Samuel 15. And yes, we get to speak about what we're doing in Bulgaria and who we are as people, but we also want to read from God's Word because it is integral to everything that we do in life. You can amen at any time that you want to, even if it's not a spiritual thing. If I just say, go Red Sox, you can even amen that. <laughs> okay, while you guys are finding uh, 1 Samuel 15, let's see a raise of, hand, uh, raise of hands who are from Maine, New Hampshire, or Vermont. Okay, I'll say that represents maybe 50%. So uh, anybody from Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island? Okay, great. And then raise your hand if you're not from either of any of those. Okay, good. So uh, let's hear you yell. What do you think of New England? Let's hear it by loudness, decibels. You like New England? Yes. Okay, that's acceptable. I like that. It's a good place to be. You know, I've been uh, in many places. I grew up in Nevada. Has anybody been to Nevada? Whoa, that's a lot more than... Who says Nevada? Probably everyone. It's Nevada. I'm sorry. It's just the truth. Because I, I, I grew up there in the middle of nowhere. So it was kind of like Vermont. And you know, Dr. Bow was telling me about people with four-wheelers and cars and snowmobiles just sitting in the yards here in Vermont. And I'm totally comfortable with that. That, you know, that's up my alley. I'm sorry, it is. I, I do like things to be somewhat organized. I would have them at least in rows, I think. <laughs> but where I grew up in remote Nevada, in my class in high school, there were like 14 or 15 of us. And we had uh, all kinds of tribes of Indians. We had Mormons. We had all kinds of things going on out there and even a little Southern Baptist church in, out in the valley. Kind of weird, right? But yeah, there were a number of just few Christians out there meeting, and my dad felt that he was called to be the pastor out there, and that's how we landed there when I was just a kid and why I grew up there. Is it the mission field to you guys? Yes or no? Yes. It is definitely a mission field. And so we felt that, you know, the pressures of being somewhere new and different, because my parents weren't from there, uh, they felt the pressure differently than I, just being a kid growing up there. But we ended up leaving when I was transitioning from junior, uh, junior in high school to senior in high school. And a, a part of that transition has to do with this word obedience. And that's what I want to be the theme of what we're talking about today. I think you said I have until one or something. <laughs> oh, he's laughing. Oh, I guess not. Um, obedience, okay? Well, even in transitioning out of like what were all of my friends, my classmates, everything that was going on in my life at that time to say, okay, I'm just going to leave that behind and go somewhere else. How can that be fun? I mean, usually that's not fun for any kid, right? If you've been in one place for a long time. But obedience is necessary. And at that point, I felt God was saying to me, you need to be in a place where you're going to have more Christian influence in your life to direct your life than what you have where you are on the field. And so if we think of it sort of in a missionary go context, at that point, I probably should have either said, well, parents, you stay here. I'm going to go off for my senior year of high school and whatever else God has for me somewhere else where I can get the proper Christian education that I think God is calling me to. But he actually just uprooted our whole family, and they moved to South Carolina, which my parents' roots are from there. So I did my senior year of high school there and then my four years of university. 
So how was that obedience? Well, like I said, we left everything behind and had to stay in a, a climate that was just really wet and hot and sticky. And so there's a little bit of obedience in that as well, uh, change of friends. But God helped me to see it also as a field because I have these people, even though they're in the South, that they don't necessarily know Christ in a way that's going to save them, in a way that's going to bring glory and honor to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So even then at that age, I think I was seeing that, you know what? There is a purpose to our lives. It is to bring glory to God, not to just live out our lives. And um, I went to university, like I said, and during our, my senior year of university, we went on a March spring trip trip <laughs> up to New England. It was in Maine and New Hampshire that we helped some church planters for a week long in the snow and cold. And the, the last day, we were up there, and the person who was host, uh, hosting us, I don't know if you remember Kevin Litchfield, he said, Justin, why don't you think about coming back after you graduate? And so it comes to another crisis point in my life of obedience. What am I going to do with this? Because it's not that his words were something that I needed to obey. It was what God was putting in my heart when he said those words to me. That's what I needed to obey. And so um, before we go any further with my story, because I want to tell you some more, and I'm not telling you things to, to like pat myself on the back about obedience. I'm just saying that God has helped me to see obedience as being important to my life at different points. And I was just sharing those with you so that you can be encouraged in obedience. Let's read it from God's word as well. 1 Samuel 15, and uh, starting maybe with uh, verse 7. Do you guys know what this whole passage is about that I'm about to read? Does anybody just like right offhand, like, oh, I know this. Raise your hand. Okay. Is this being taught anywhere in any of these classes here at the college? Yeah? Okay. Well, I'm sorry. I may this week. I'm probably about to conflict with everything that your professor is about to tell you. <laughs> so just upfront apology for that. This is just my perspective on, on what I get out of this passage. But uh, some different things are going on with Israel at this point. We do have King Saul on the throne. And he's, he hasn't been there too long. I don't know if we know for how long he's been on the throne, but he's relatively new. And it says in verse 7, then, oh, can I read from the New Living Translation? Is that okay here? Are you guys like King James only, or I can go Bulgarian only? I don't know if you guys are. Okay. Verse 7, then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, east of Egypt, and he captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and the goats and the cattle and the fat calves and the lambs, everything in fact that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. And Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. And early the next morning Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Uh, then he went on to Gilgal. Well, this is not looking good, guys, I'm telling you. When Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you. I have carried out Yahweh's <coughs> commands. 
Then what is all the bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle that I hear? Samuel demanded. Oh, it's true that the army spared the best of the sheep and the goats and the cattle, Saul admitted, but they are going to sacrifice them to Yahweh, your God. We have destroyed everything else. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop, listen to what Yahweh told me last night. Well, what did he tell you? Samuel said, Although you may think little of yourself, and you are not the leader of the tribe, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? Yahweh has anointed you king of Israel. And Yahweh sent you on a mission and told you, Go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed Yahweh? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in Yahweh's sight? Saul, but I, I did obey Yahweh. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to God, to the Lord your God in Gilgal. But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to Yahweh? your burnt offerings and sacrifices, or your obedience to his voice. Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Let's pray. We thank you, Father God, so much for your word that has taught us so many things over time and is teaching us right now. And we have read this uh, with the focus of obedience on our hearts and minds to think about what it means so please uh, enlighten us today on this particular aspect of this passage and help us to learn obedience from you. In your name we pray. Amen. So obedience is important. And we see this from the mouth of Samuel, but from God. And so that's why when I look back in my life and I see the moments that God has given me the power to make obedient choices, I celebrate. And I also celebrate, wow, I, I prayed in a good way. Because there's you have to be careful what you pray for, right? I, I prayed for a good wife for so many years. You know, I got way up into like, oh, so old, like 24, 25. And I was like, man, why, God, haven't you given me a wife yet? I've been praying earnestly for her for a long time. Even with pressures of family members and others saying, you need to date, you need to do this, or whatever. I was like, no, I'm just going to wait for the right girl. God's going to make her apparent to me at the right time. And he did. I was 27, but I obeyed very quickly. I was ready for obedience <laughs> that time. So sorry to any other young ladies here, but at the time, I felt that I snagged the last godly young lady from New England. And um, we stayed. We were in New England, like the video said. Why would we do anything internationally when we had the world at our fingertips in Massachusetts and New England? It just doesn't make any sense. And so we were active in missions in Massachusetts, in New England. And that's how every Christian should be who lives in New England. They should be active in missions with internationals because they are here. And we can just share the gospel with them in a way and disciple them in a way that will impact wherever they come from and make a big splash. But we were teaching young people in 2005 and as we were teaching them about thinking globally in missions, God boomeranged that back to us. And so after that week of teaching them at a camp, we're like, what? Is he actually changing our hearts too at this point? And then the whole thing of obedience comes again. 
well, we thought we were all set. I mean, we have stuff that we're doing here that is glorifying to God. Why would he change that, right? But in obedience, we said, okay, let's start researching. It's possible that God has done something in our lives that would help already, that would direct our future. What has he been doing in our lives that would help point what he might be thinking for the future? And after some talking about it, we did come to the conclusion that we had both had turkey on our minds and hearts. And so in obedience, we started looking at what are the options for going to Turkey? What can we actually do there? What are we supposed to do there? I don't really know. But what does obedience do? It puts its foot out and starts walking, even without knowing the direction, even without knowing the, the destination. And so that was obedience that we lived out together. And even when we were going to training, we got the call, oh, the people that you were going to help have retired from the field. They're no longer there. So what do you do at that point? You just keep walking. That's okay. God didn't call us to this team or to a particular ministry. He called us to the people of Turkey, to the Muslims. So let's just keep going. So we went through training. We did arrive on the field and spent time learning a hard language. And obedience at learning language, guys, is super hard. Does anyone here know something other than English? Okay. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Does anyone know here something other than English and the biblical languages? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good, 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 good. So uh, there's a little joke. Uh, do I have time for a joke? I think we do. Um, you call a, a person who knows three languages is a... Um, tri he's trilingual. And so a person who speaks two languages is... Bilingual, you know, a person who speaks one language is American. Oh, sorry, you already heard it. Can't be too original with these things, can we? But for real, guys, learning languages is hard. So obedience, it can come not only with these big decisions of which woman do I marry, what ministry do I take hold of and run with, but also how do I get up this morning and speak like a little kid to all these people who they're just going to be looking at me going, what, what are you trying to say? And, and trying to hold in my pride of, I'm a grown man, and I'm here babbling and learning these things. So that's obedience, just every morning trying to, to go and learn the language. We did that for a number of years, and we got established with a local church there in Turkey, so we're working with Turks. We didn't want to spend too much time with Americans or other foreigners, so we uh, dived in just as much as we could with the locals and had good ministry with that little church, and then with a Bible school that was in Istanbul. Of course, it wasn't legally a Bible school. It was you know, like an association or something like that, because you couldn't have some kind of legal school. But they did seminars, and they taught the, the Word of God, and so I was able to help them with the skills that God had already given me. So the part of the obedience and going and doing was just making who I was already available for God's use for what needed to be done on the field. And then, after, after um, 13 years in Istanbul, we were encouraging some people who had gotten kicked out, some of our missionary friends who had gotten kicked out of Turkey, hey, why don't you think about Bulgaria? Because Bulgaria is a place where there are Muslims, Turkish Muslims, that need to be reached because there are not very many people reaching them intentionally. 
So think about Bulgaria as a real serious option, not just like, oh, if I happen to maybe one day think about it, I might pray about it, but actually think about it, pray about it. And guess what happened? The old boomerang came right back and hit us. We're like, oh, man. There are actually, like what I said, all of these Turks in Bulgaria who need somebody to go and reach them. Well, I guess that's applicable to us as well. We need to go and reach them. So obedience. Because we thought that we were going to be in Turkey for a long time. We're like, hey, our act of obedience means we are here until death. We're just going to plan our lives like the missionaries of old. No ship going back home for this couple. That was prideful. God changes people's hearts and minds in their directions according to his will, not what we think he meant to us when we obey. So we came to another point of obedience, and we decided, yes, we're going to follow him. And we did. We went over to Bulgaria. Because before, like, who would be stupid enough to have to learn a second hard language, right? Like, just stay where you are with the one hard language. And then, oh man, we are, you were those stupid people. We're going to go learn another hard language. And so there for three years, trying hard to learn this um, difficult language that uses Cyrillic, sort of like Russian. So two different language groups have nothing really to do with each other, nothing to do with English. So uh, we're still learning Bulgarian, and we're trying very hard, because we want to be able to share the gospel in English, in Turkish, and Bulgarian. But not only share the gospel, what is another part of obedience, Dr. Ballard, is discipleship. Because, uh, like, I love the map of the blue and green pins. Do you guys ever notice that, or is it just something hanging on the wall that's there? If you look at it, you're like, wow, that's pretty cool. But what if we had red pins that meant a person was discipled until they became a faithful steward of God's time and money and energy here in Vermont, that they lived for the glory of God, that their sins are not the big ones, but their sins are now the small ones. We've helped them to narrow down the, the sinning to just the, the ones that are kind of smaller, you know? And would you like to see that happen with the people in Vermont? Or would you like to see it maybe in your own life as well? That you can be a, a person who understands right away what God is calling you to. That you don't have to struggle so much with what is the will of God? What do I need to obey? It's not as much of a struggle because you're listening and you're ready to hear what he's saying to you. He will shake you and get you to do what he wants you to do. We have plenty of Bible verses of people being made to do God's will. So he, he will do that. Or... You can be so close in relationship with him that you just know it. You feel it. You can, you can do it. And it doesn't require you being shaken. So let's think about that for ourselves. Let's think about our obedience and how deep are we getting in our relationship with Christ. Let's think about this for the others in Vermont. How do we disciple people? How do we not only evangelize, but how do we sit down and spend time with these people such that they learn to feed themselves from the word, they learn how to be a, a part of the body of God, to learn from the other believers in their areas, and so that they go on to also think about obedience in their life. What does God want them to do? How are they going to glorify God? 
And then I think in a room this size, there are probably some of you who are even, even now feeling some stirrings in your heart that God would want you to go and do something somewhere very specific, somewhere very foreign and crazy like L.A. or Dallas or Houston or, I don't know, or Bulgaria, right? The world is very big, and at the same time, it's also very small, guys, right now. With what we're doing digitally, with the flying flights and all the rest of it, there's no place in the world that is really off limits at this point for you to go and to be the light of Christ. So I encourage you now, deepen your relationship with Christ so that when he calls out your name for you to obey, even going back to Samuel's calling, right? When he's, he's sleeping in the temple and he hears his name, Samuel, Samuel. Here am I. Listen. So get to a relationship in Christ so that you can hear his calling you. You can say, what do you want, Lord, Yahweh? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And um, a good part of this is obedience, as we've had as of our theme. We, we did read the text. I didn't know if this was going to be a sermon or sharing about what we do. Uh, so it's just a mixture. So... Uh, <laughs> Sorry about it being kind of back and forth. But I want you to, to understand what we're doing and also want you to feel spiritually encouraged at the same time. Um, a little bit about Bulgaria is that um, from what Dr. Ballard has told you and what you, we've already uh, spoken to you, small country, hardly anyone knows where it is or what they do there. Well, have you ever had anything that deals or smells like rose? Most likely, the oil that went into that substance came from Bulgaria. Because it's like 75% of the, the world's rose oil comes from Bulgaria. And then they use that oil in products that want that smell or whatever. Even wines and things like that. Um, it is the place with the largest uh, gypsy ghettos. So if you're wanting to work with the Roma people, then Bulgaria is a good place because we got the ghettos there. Um, it used to be a part of the Ottoman Empire, just like a lot of the Balkans in Eastern Europe were. And so that's why the Turks are there in the first place, that we would go in and reach them, is that when the Ottoman Empire army was kicked out of that area, the farmers, general laborers, they stayed there in the mountains and the villages. And so uh, we're going now to reach them who have for hundreds of years grown up speaking and knowing and doing everything in Bulgarian and Turkish at home. And they've had different persecution from whether the Orthodox Church or the Bulgarian government or the communist re regime. They've had different uh, trials and things that have been very difficult for them. Um, but they are worthy of our obedience to go and reach them and to plant our lives among them. And that's what we're hoping to do is to say, um, Others have come in the past and have done evangelism and then left real quickly, especially in 90 and 91. I don't know, a lot of you weren't even born by then, I guess. <laughs> but uh, communism fell, and people came in droves, evangelicals. They shared the gospel. They had big evangelism events, and then they left. And there was not a sense of long-term discipleship at all. And so there was this floundering and all of the people who made these decisions for Christ have fallen away. They're, the stones have been taken off of the path by the birds, by Satan, and taken away. And it's very sad. And so we want to plant our lives there and say, look, 
we're willing to leave rich America and come to poor Bulgaria and be your neighbors because we love Jesus Christ and we want to share his life with your lives. We want to be a part of what you guys are doing here, cutting wood or doing fingernail painting or whatever it is that your jobs are. We have an interest in who you are as a person. We want to share Jesus Christ with you and we want to live our lives beside yours, helping you to honor and give glory to the Lord of the universe. And that's our hope and goal as missionaries in Bulgaria. If you want to hear or listen more over time about what we do, then you can join our prayer newsletter group. And you can um, get that by a card that's over here um, on this wooden place, thing, structure. You're not helping me. I don't know. We have an ongoing thing about what to call that. Oh, OK. So Bannister? Right. I don't know. Yeah, we've used that. OK. So it has two uh, QR codes there. The top one is a website. And when you get to that website, it'll ask for a password. And if you point your phone to the, the lower QR code, it will show you the password, what it is. And you can just type it in there. And you can read about us. And at the end, there'll be a form there, a support form, say, you know, I want to uh, support you with prayer. I want to support you financially, that kind of thing. So this is right over there. And I'll. And uh, if you, for some reason, don't want to do the whole QR code thing, um, there may be some people here of later generations that don't like QR codes, maybe. But there is a piece of paper and a pen that you can just write down your email address, and we'll add you in manually to our flow of letters. And if you want a little bit of, uh, what do you call it, memorabilia for Bulgaria, we have some coins. So I'm going to put it in this and put it over there. So you can just grab one or two of the coins. And you don't, won't recognize what it says on the face of it, but you'll know that it came from Bulgaria. And you can put that on your desk, and every time you see it, pray for us. Pray for the people of Bulgaria. OK, Johanna, um, the cards, that list. What else is there? That's probably, yeah. And so thank you so much again for what you're doing in Vermont and in New England. God bless you all. <laughs>